Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. I just feel like the Lord is turning up the heat the last few weeks. So, Lord, would you turn up the heat some more, Jesus? We say, yes, we're available. We are available. Change our plans. Turn up the heat. Church without you is really boring, Jesus. (laughs) Come on, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, amen. Amen. Turn to your other neighbor and say, amen. Amen. Oh, Jesus, give me strength to preach. Like I'd rather lay on the floor and like, I don't know, cry or something (laughs) right now. Well, last week, Jess was preaching on the river of life, Right? Y'all didn't get a chance to be here in person. I hope you caught it online or encourage you to do so if you haven't already. And I was sitting here on the front row as Jess was preaching that message and the Lord began to speak to me about this week and this, this week's message. And I felt the Lord speak to me and he said, do less, do less. And I'm sitting there listening to this message all about being in his river, all about basking in his river. And the Lord says, do less. And we live in a, we live in a culture obsessed with doing, yeah? Y'all agree? Come on, nod your heads with me. Give me something. You agree? We live in a culture obsessed with busyness, obsessed with performance, thinking that we need to try to prove ourselves. We need to be somebody. We need to do do more. We just need to do and do and do and do. And, you know, we've all seen, or some of us have probably seen those productivity influencers online that are like, you need to wake up at 2 a.m. every day. You need to, no, 1 a.m. You need to get your workout in. Then you need to meditate on winning for 15 minutes. Then you need to do your second workout. Then you need to create your to-do list for the day and I don't know. It just gets ridiculous, right? It's like that Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf meme that was going everywhere. Just do it. Make your dreams come true. And so I'm sitting here and the Lord's like, do less. Do less. And there's nothing wrong with doing. There's nothing wrong with work. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been created for good works. There's a nature of doing, but sometimes we make the activity the idol of our lives. Sometimes we make activity the thing that we gain our source of significance from. And we think, if I can do more, if I can be more successful, then I'll be happy. Then I will feel significant. Then I will feel joy. Then I will feel peace. Then I will have Christ's acceptance. Right before that, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. (laughs) It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Say, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. It's not that works. It's not that doing doesn't matter. It's that 
it's not going to get you a spot into heaven. That was a free gift you received for doing nothing. And we can't make activity the idol of our lives. We can't make activity the thing that we gain our worth from. Listen, I, I, f- I feel like somebody needs to hear this today. Your identity is in Christ, not in what you do. And we're bowing. We're bowing to that, that sense of, of worth from what we do rather than Jesus Christ and our, our sonship and our identity in him. You know, when we think the gospel is something we can earn, we are cheapening the gospel. It can't be earned. The very nature of Christ's gift, the very nature of the cross is that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8, I believe. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That the very nature, the magnitude, the the greatness of his love was on display for us in that you did nothing Right. In fact, you did everything wrong and Christ looked at you and said, that's a person I'm willing to die for. But somehow we get on this side of salvation and all of a sudden we feel like we need to earn and do and do. So say, do less. You know, you must be pretty valuable in this room if he was willing to give everything for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, your value is determined by what Jesus did, not by what you do. All right, turn to your other neighbor. Your value is determined by what Jesus did, not by what you do. Now say this, say Scooby-Doo. I got a shirt for y'all today. I bought, I, <laughs> I bought it for today's message. It's true. All right, Scooby-Doo. Why, is, why on earth is this guy talking about Scooby-Doo, right? I heard this message a long time ago, probably when I was like in middle school. I'm using a youth pastor trick here. This is going to help you remember it, okay? I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And this youth pastor, I was at this... I don't know, some youth group, we were traveling, we were in the city, and so we went, and this youth pastor was going on and on and on about Scooby-Doo, to the point of being annoying. And he, he the point that he was so obnoxiously <laughs> getting at was, it is not Scoo-Dooby, it is Scooby-Doo. And he was saying over and over, be-do, 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 be-do. And I'll never forget this message, because... Again, it was ridiculous, but he drove home this point that our value, our worth is found first in our being, that we are first human beings and not human doings, that first we live and have our being in Christ and all activity follows, that we don't first do in order to belong. That's Old Testament. That's the law. The law said, listen up, here's a list of rules that you need to follow in order to be mine. But the law of grace that Jesus came and gave that fulfilled the law, that we no longer have to fulfill the law because guess what? Plot to us, we couldn't, we can't. Y'all probably already knew that. 
But first and foremost, our being is found in Christ. It's not, it's not simply about what we do. That's not where we get, get our significance, get our source. In fact, any activity, anything that we do must first be rooted and grounded in Christ. So scoo, be, do. That's the order, be, do. Now, Paul's speaking to these men in Athens in Acts chapter 27. And these men are, they're not saved. They had all sorts of idols, the Bible says, that they would worship. And they're so much so, they had so many idols that they had this one idol called the unknown God. And they would worship it, like just in case we missed somebody. And so Paul, really wanting to like preach the gospel in a way that they can hear it, he begins to speak about this unknown God. And he's speaking about this unknown God that you've already been worshiping, men of Athens. And he begins to tell them how this God created and formed the earth, how this God gives life to humanity, breath in our lungs. And he says this in verse 28, he says, in him, we live and move and have our being. In him, we live and move and have our being. What's the point? Our lives, our breath, our being, it's all found in Jesus. It's rooted in Christ. And we can say that we know it. Yeah, like we've been around church enough. We know the language of church. We know churchianity. We know Christianese, the language. But what is the deepest, almost subliminal thoughts of our hearts and our actions tell us about what we truly believe? Do we truly believe that our sonship is fully rooted and grounded in in only in Christ. Yes. Come on, Antoine does. <laughs> you know, each year as we do these, these fasts, the Lord just kind of teaches me something through it. And this year it was kind of that, that message of, of do less. And I realized that, per, speaking personally, I fell into that almost trap of just trying to cram more into my life in order to be successful. To be successful as a pastor, to be successful as a husband, to be successful as a father, to be successful, blah, 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 blah. And I just tried to cram more in. And you know, you're at the gym and you're trying to, you're listening to your Bible and you're working out and you're listening to podcasts and you're reading books and you're just trying to do more. And as we intentionally slowed down for this fast and did less, and I began to set aside TV and set aside my phone and just began to be it's like, oh, there you are, Jesus. And it was like even the simple tasks in my life became a place to find him. And one of these nights in particular, we are just like chilling, hanging out, Jess and I, and we're like, why don't we go decorate your office? So we go down to my office and we're hanging my guitars up and we're doing a little bit of decorating. And we just put on some worship music and it just became a worship service. Well... But the activity was just decorating an office. And it's like as I intentionally slowed down and just did less, it's like, oh, there you are, Holy Spirit. You were here the whole time. I was just distracted. (laughs) So that's the invitation. When our identity is rooted and grounded in Christ, everything changes. We no longer are looking to the world for significance. We're no longer looking. If I bomb it this morning, it's like Jesus still loves me. He's still seated on the throne. If somebody gets offended, I wore Scooby-Doo shirt. I'm not endorsing Scooby-Doo. It's like, 
It's okay. Jesus still loves me. He still loves you too, by the way. (laughs) I remember one of my first speaking engagements that I was formally invited to. It was really just a tag along, if I'm honest. Something like nine years ago. And Duncan and Kate were asked to go preach at this church for a family conference in Texas. And the idea behind this, this little speaking slot was that it's a family conference and we want to model families that love Jesus together and are in revival together and so on and so forth. And so basically throughout an hour, we were each given 15 minutes and we're going to get up and go back to back. And of course I had to go last as like a pretty newbie in all this. And, um, so as, as I'm sitting there on the front row and first Duncan gets up and preaches beautifully for 15 minutes. If you don't know who Duncan and Carrie, you're new here. There are senior leaders and Duncan gets up and he preaches beautifully for 15 minutes. And then Kate gets up and she preaches off of take team and off of him for 15 minutes. And then Jess gets up and preaches for 15 minutes. And I am sitting there getting more nervous and nervous as each of them go. And I'm sitting there like, Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. And so I get up and I I do my thing. I try my best and I was nervous. And we had this trip. It was a great trip. The rest of the time, all of a sudden the trip's over. We're at the air airport and we're about to board a plane a little bit before that. And, Oh, is that my baby? Or is that somebody else's baby? Sometimes we have a phone monitor for our baby. Sorry. Anyways, random. Um, so we're at this, we're at the airport about to blame, uh, about to board, sorry. And I'm just speaking with Duncan. We're just hanging out and I'm saying, man, that was awesome. Everyone did such a great job. I was feeling so nervous as I was waiting for my turn. And he just goes with this like sweet, loving heart. He's like, well, son, do you want me to give you some feedback? And I kid you not, on the inside, I was like, no, <laughs> whatever you do, do not give me feedback. My identity, my reality, it, it was like turmoil. I look back now and I'm like, what the heck? But in this moment, my heart was like, do not. I cannot handle it. I cannot take it. And on the outside, through gritted teeth, of course, I said, sure. <laughs> And he gives me this feedback that now, honestly, I look back and I'm like, that was great feedback. Simple. And he's like, you know what? When you got up there, just feeling nervous, you just kind of got up and it felt like you were trying to put something on a little bit. Weren't fully being yourself. It's like, that was it. What great feedback. Because we all should be ourselves in all things. That's Christ has made us unique and beautiful in our own way. And when we show up as any less, we're doing him a disservice. And so it was good feedback. But in the moment, I was like torn apart, y'all. And I'm over, I'm now over chatting with Jess and I'm trying to figure out like what the heck is wrong. And so she was a loving wife in this moment, just listening to me basically try to externally process vomit on her, all this, like what is going on with my heart? I'm like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. Why do I feel this way? And all of a sudden, as I'm going through these, maybe it's this is all of a sudden I just say these words and I say, it just feels like an old wound. And I'm like, wound, there it is. And, and all of a sudden it just hit me. It was like, that was literally, I didn't plan to say those words. It was just the Lord speaking. And so now we're boarding this plane as I'm like having this revel, deep revelation and figuring what the heck is going on with my heart as I'm triggered. And so we get on the plane, it's 
Duncan and Kate had, had status because they traveled a lot during that time. And so they got us upgraded to first class. It was my first time ever flying first class. One of my first only times, I should say. And so we are boarding first, y'all. And I'm on the first row. And the entire plane is boarding as I am weeping, sobbing my face off. I'm not talking like some nice, quiet cry. I was sobbing. And Jess literally goes, we laugh about it to this day. She goes, put a pillow over your face. Because <laughs> it's like, chill, bro. It's like everyone thinks we've broken up or something. And so I'm sobbing on this plane. And I'm having this encounter with the Lord. And the Lord begins to show me and reveal people in my life that I needed to forgive. That had affected my identity. And so first, there was three things the Lord led me through. First, I forgave my brother, who growing up was quite physically abusive at times, just beat me up and wasn't the nicest. And there was a part of me that just wanted to be loved by my big bro. And um, the Lord began, led me through prayers of forgiving him once again in my life. Then the Lord took me to my dad at moments where I would show my dad a song that I'd written, a worship song that I'd written. His first response would be to say some sort of piece of constructive constructive criticism or feedback rather than just tell me he was proud of me, which for me, for me meant something. And there was clearly this thing that the Lord was pointing out in that moment. And so I'm like, dad, I forgive you. Cause my dad's heart is amazing. He's an evangelist. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal guy, but there's this, this wound that was in my heart. And so I forgave him as my father. And then I forgave my mom too, who, when she was nine months pregnant with her, sorry, nine month, had a nine month old baby. I mean, her third child, she found out she was pregnant with me and she wept and wept and wept for weeks when she found out I was coming along. <laughs> and the Lord told me to forgive her as well. And as I just basically followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and forgave where he told me to forgive, I came up out of this place a new man. And it's like, I let go of this. What marked me more than anything that moment was my I no longer had this need for the approval of man. It's like all of a sudden, the things that were hindering my foundational belief of my identity in Christ were out of the way. And I no longer even needed to be as my first early years as a youth pastor. I no longer had the need to be like this cool youth pastor and have all my students like me. It's like, listen, again, like if I, if I suck one night, the Lord still loves me. <laughs> And genuinely, there was this inexplainable identity of Christ that was manifest in my life from that moment onwards. Our identity's in him. <laughs> Come on, say it. My identity is not wrapped up in what I do. It's in Christ. Turn with me to Paul, just to Paul, Ooh, to a book written by Paul. <laughs> the book of Acts chapter 27. Oh, well, it's written by many authors, but yeah. Thank you, Jacob. It's kind of written by him because all the stories are about him pretty much. So, you know, close enough. See, I'm still loved. All right, here we go. Acts 27. We're going to go to verse 10 all the way down to 26. Paul here in this story is on his way to Rome. He had it deeply on his heart to to go and preach the gospel in Rome. And so as he had been accused um, and was going before all sorts of different leaders, he really, he appealed to be taken before Caesar, to be tried. And, 
And so he's now here, he's in a boat, and they're on their way to Rome where he's appealed to go to the courts of Rome before Caesar. And his, really his heart is to preach the gospel in Rome. In verse 10, he says this. He says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a temptuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running, running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, the God, of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. I was reading this story many years ago, and this little phrase that Paul said stuck out to me. And it's in the midst of this storm, this treacherous storm, where they said that the stars and the sun and the moon, they weren't visible. Like this is dark skies, high winds, massive waves, terrifying, right? So terrifying that these men are, are probably feeling seasick. It says that they're, they're not eating food. And they're sailors. This is what they do. But this storm is, this storm is freaking them out. And here Paul comes along and he says, basically, do not be afraid. For the God to whom I belong has spoken to me. And this statement, the God to whom I belong stuck out to me. It's, it's almost as if everything after that moment that Paul said, the security in which he felt in Christ and in their outcome all stemmed from this place of the one with whom I belong has spoken to me. And he's saying to these men, this God that I serve, this God whose I am, whose I am a part of, he's spoken and we will not die, we will live. And the very actions, the very confidence that, that came from Paul in this moment were rooted and grounded in that reality. And so the question is, whose are you? 
Whose are you? And are we walking in whose we are? Are we waking up like God is on the throne and he's alive in me? Because it's the truth. It's not always easy. Our humanity gets in the way. Our feelings get in the way. But it's the truth, everybody. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Thank you. Ephesians 1.5 said, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that. It gave him great pleasure. Romans 8.19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and God. There is this longing of creation. It almost speaks to me of this moment where we like fully realize our identity in Christ as sons and daughters. And there's this eagerness of creation for us to realize fully that revelation. Listen, apart from Christ, we are nothing. But with Christ, we are everything. In him, we live and move and have our being. I remember one time, again, I I could have been one of those, like I said earlier, that could have told you my identity was in Christ. I could have said those words to you. But one time the Lord showed up, and I was just praying and worshiping him, and he said, he said, Aaron, you feel like you're a burden to me. And I was like, ooh, ouch. And I instantly knew, like, that's absolutely true. And as I was in high school in my faith, and I was messing up, trying, trying to follow Christ, trying to walk in his ways, but falling short, missing the mark, sinning, I began to believe this lie that I was literally a burden to the Lord. And that he was like, almost like rolling his eyes, like, here we go again. <laughs> Here comes Aaron. He's trying his best, buddy. Head pat. But the Lord was like coming after that in that moment and like, no, I love you. And I chose you knowing all. It's like that old Misty Edwards song, I knew what I was getting into, still I chose you. It's like he saw the pages of my life, the, the parts I, I've tried to blot out and want nobody to see, and he said, I'll, I'm willing to die for that for, that, for you. And that's Christ. It's our identity. Today you are loved. Today you are loved. Today you are his sons, you are his daughters. What would it look like if the body of Christ, if believers truly believed this reality? What would we see happen in our communities, in our businesses, in our jobs? If our security, if our honesty, if everything of who we are was really rooted and grounded in Christ, what would it look like when you didn't get that promotion you wanted? What would it look like when you didn't get that grade you wanted and no longer is your faith and your very being shipwrecked, but you're like, okay, God, I, I lean into you in this moment. Would you fill me? Thank you that I'm, I'm still loved. Thank you that I'm still yours. I believe there'd be less compromise, less striving, Less jealousy and envy and bitterness and betrayal in the church. Listen, so often our ability to celebrate the success of somebody else 
reveals to us what's really going on in our hearts. Especially when it's the very thing that you wish you were promoted for. I mean, I, I've had to walk that before. I saw people get promoted to the exact things that I wanted. And I even had the gross thought of, I'm better than them at that. But they got the promotion. And then instantly the Lord's like checking my heart and being like, you really going to go on with those thoughts? And I'm repenting and I'm saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you for that person. Bless them, Lord. Bless their success. Thank you that, Lord, in your kingdom, there is more than enough to go around. You know, that whole concept of somebody stealing your thunder, it doesn't exist in Christianity. God has enough thunder for all of us. Just saying. So how do we become aware of the sonship? I want to pull out a few things here that I think are important. First and foremost, that we forgive. You know, forgiveness is one of those things that, man, I'll preach on every week if I could till the day I die. Like it cannot be under, cannot be overstated, sorry. Cannot be overstated. The, the very power of forgiveness to set us free. It sets the other person free, but when you forgive, you realize all along you were the one imprisoned and it sets you free. And the Bible says that my father in heaven will not forgive you if you do not forgive, which is not something I recommend doing. Just saying. First John chapter one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many want to be purified from all unrighteousness? Confess your sins to the Lord and forgive others. You know, unforgiveness is sin. So forgive others. Receive forgiven forgiveness. And sometimes we don't, we're not even aware. We need those moments where we actually invite Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you show me if there's anyone that I'm harboring bitterness or unforgiveness towards? And that moment on the plane, it's like I said, it just feels like an old wound. But until the Lord revealed to me, some of the pain in my life until I forgave those people as the Lord revealed. It's like I needed him to show me. Sometimes we just say, Lord, would you show me? Secondly, we break agreement with ungodly beliefs, everybody. That moment where the Lord said, Aaron, you feel like you're a burden to me. That was an ungodly belief that I partnered with, that I truly believed. And it changed the way that I would come to the Lord, that I would come almost like sheepishly, Versus like kicking open the gates, I'm home, which is our nature in Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to, to us, to you. But often we believe these things, these lies about ourselves, or we believe lies about the Lord that inform and affect the very way we live our lives. And we live less than a secure identity in Christ because of an ungodly belief that we've partnered with. Second Corinthians 10 verse four and five said, says for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, if you're in a season where you're believing all these lies, it's time to repent, to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for believing these lies about myself. Or if you're in a season where you're living less than who God's called you to be, you might need to go before him and say, Lord, would you show me the lies in my life that I'm partnering with? And if you're struggling to hear his voice, begin to declare scripture over yourself. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit me together in my mother's womb and he didn't make a mistake. It was intricate. It was beautiful. He did it well. We have our, our, our kids, they do daily declarations on their way to school. And it's like, I am strong. I am brave. I am beautiful. I am the head and not the tail. And it's just this act of like, begin to declare the truth over yourself. Because we live in a world that's, that's coming for your mind. Amen. And the trap that so often we fall into as, as just hum, our human nature is to become so caught up in our self-depreciating thoughts. And it's time to check our thoughts in with the Lord and say, are these, are these right? Are these godly? <laughs> Antoine's always preaching every week. Gotta love it. Thirdly, I want to say to this invitation to, to do less, to not fall into this just needing this addiction to activity of just needing to cram more in our lives and cram more and then I'll be happy. Actually, he's the Lord of the Sabbath that we were created for work, but the, at the end of that six-day period in Genesis, what did he do? He rested. And he gave us the Sabbath, and I would invite all of us to take a day to, to, par- to practice Sabbath and to rest and to have our being in Christ and to slow down and just remind ourselves, today I am loved, <laughs> and that's all that really matters. All the other stuff all the busyness will be there tomorrow, but today I am loved and that's all that really matters. It's not like a Jess Ray song or something. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We just need to sometimes slow down and stop worrying about tomorrow and just be, be in his presence. And lastly, I want to say that we are to be countercultural and reject performance. In my early days of, of pastoring, I, even in youth ministry, I don't know, just this weird thing can come over you where even when you're just worshiping on the front, you feel like people are looking at you. Just being real. Cool. Is that cool? And when I felt that spirit of performance come over me, I would just literally every single time stop, drop, and soak. And so this became almost like our, our spiritual fire safety instructions that we would teach our students. When you're feeling that spirit of performance come over you, just stop, drop, and soak. 
What I mean by soak is to just be in his presence, okay, if you don't know what I mean by that. And in those moments where I'm feeling the spirit of performance, I would just lay down and say, here I am. I seek your face. I don't worry about the opinions of man. I don't worry about what my sermon's going to be in 15 minutes from now when I have to get up and preach. I seek your face. I reject the spirit of performance. I am loved. I am your son. I am chosen. And I would just get face to face with God and begin to receive his truth and speak his truth and bask in his truth. Because it's not about what I do. (laughs) Scooby-Doo. In him, we have our being. Our last passage is in John 15. If you turn there with me, we'll read one through six. Are y'all good? Jesus says this, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. You know, we can read this and we can fixate on the, on the bearing fruit. Which again, we are created for works. We are created to bear fruit. It's all there. I'm not denying it. It's very scriptural. But we can become so focused on the fruit and being fruitful in our lives that we actually forget to abide. And it just creates spiritual constipation. Where you think in your own strength, you can produce, not too much imagery here. You can produce something in your own right, in your own way. And Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, but we make, somehow we make that activity and trying to be more and trying to be fruitful somehow come before resting and abiding in the true vine. It's, it's that, I know I'm going to beat a dead horse here, but it's that, it's that be, then do. That first we live and move and have our being in him. And then the action comes and we cannot afford to get it reversed. Because if we get it reversed, we fall into this thinking that, our, our activity of our lives speaks to our being when the being of our lives is actually what speaks to the activity. And the nature of Christ is what informs us how to walk out our lives. It's not the walk that informs the being. Stop, drop, and soak. You know, Susan Wertheimer, our kids pastor, was sharing... Uh, a little message on the Sabbath with, uh, with us at staff meeting. And she shared this, this story of the, the gold rush out to California in the 1800s. And there was this little book called The Immigrant's Guide to California. And this is what it says. It says, the gold rushers who rested most 
specifically by observing the Sabbath, paradoxically reach their destination the most quickly. The guide advised, if you rest one day out of seven, you will get to California 20 days sooner than others who don't. Who don't. Isn't it just the nature of Christ that as we take time to practice being and abiding in him, as we take time to simply practice that Sabbath and be in his nature, that he'll make up the difference? That we think if we focus on being more fruitful, we can be more fruitful. And God says, hold on a second. That's not how it works. If you abide in me, you'll be more fruitful. When's the last time we were having a problem at work? We were having a problem in school. And we, rather than just trying to cram more in, we actually took time to abide in the vine and said, Lord, would you fill me with knowledge? I turn to you. You know, my sister was struggling with math in high school and somebody prayed over her. And, and in this moment, she instantly began to understand the math. And it wasn't that she just tried harder. She was trying very hard. It's that she, as somebody spoke the, the word of the Lord, the truth of the Lord over her, she began to understand. So abide, abide, abide. I'd love to invite you to stand with me. I want us to just take a moment and examine our hearts, okay? How many know you didn't come to church just to hear a good word? Yeah? I hope you know that. You should. If you don't, you do now. But actually having some sort of action to that, having some sort of response would be a better word. Having some sort of response is important. So just take a moment between you and the Lord and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you reveal me if there's any ungodly beliefs in my life that I'm believing about myself or I'm believing about you? Come on, just just ask him. And then ask him as well, Lord, is there anyone that I need to forgive who's affected my identity in you? And then just take a moment and listen. Lord, is there any ungodly beliefs that I've believed about myself Or is there any ungodly beliefs that I've believed about you that are not found in your scripture, that are not in your nature, that are not who you are? Would you reveal to me? It's these simple prayers of inviting Holy Spirit to speak to us that can truly, truly transform us. Lord, is there somebody who who hurt me I need to forgive today. And if you feel the Lord bringing something up or bringing a person up, just begin to repent. Repent or forgive. Repent for partnering with any wrong beliefs. Repent for believing lies about yourself or lies about him. 
Forgive those who've hurt you. Lord, I thank you that our being is found in you. That our nature is found in you. That you've created us for works, but works do not inform us to who we are. That first and foremost, we are yours. We are your beloved. Lord, I thank you for your, your called, chosen sons and daughters in this room today. Would you fill us anew with your identity, with your hope, with your purpose, with your value? And Lord, we repent for any way that we've even, we've partnered by putting ourselves down, partnered with the enemy. And we've actually become the voice of the accuser for ourselves and the enemy doesn't even have to do anything anymore. (laughs) Lord, we repent. And we look to you in all that we do as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the one that we are being transformed into daily. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.